Hi everybody, before we begin, I wanted to let you know that I'm on YouTube with film critic Kyle Gothy from Go Film Reviews. Our channel is Kyle Nick on Film. Three videos a week, every Saturday, it's Scary Movie Saturday. We'll put the link down below, go ahead and check it out. Uh, like and subscribe. There is a Patreon for that channel. Check that out for some great options to tell us some videos and movies to watch as well. We'll love to have you comment uh, join the conversation for all the films we critique. Once again, it's Kyle Nick on film on YouTube. Thank you. All right, we're back for another episode, and we have Charlie here, and Charlie knows it's dedication time. Charlie, what would you like to dedicate this episode to? Uh, I'll give a shout-out to my buddy Jason Schumacher, who got me into the whole film community here in Minnesota. Wonderful. And, yeah. Thanks, Jason. He, he's um, He's an awkward little guy. I love him. <laughs> we had him guest host the show too oh nice so, yeah so yeah it's always um i just like talking to him because it's it's I, he knows it and i know it, it's not gonna be a smooth transition of conversation it just makes it more interesting but we <laughs> love talking movies yeah <laughs> yeah yes yeah i can yeah i've had him on my own podcast once and he's he just knows everything about every weird movie <laughs> so yeah it's great <laughs> yes yeah. i don't think i could be on a movie set with him because I don't want to make the movie. I just want to sit and talk movies with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's dedicated to Jason. I love it. All right, welcome back to the show. And today we have Charlie McCarran. McCarran, yeah, yes. yeah. So, uh, have you done the DNA test to know how Irish we are? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know really. Uh, it's Irish, Scotch, Irish. I don't know. It's yeah. the, the okay. blend, right? Yep. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So you haven't done it yet, but you kind of know. We kind of all know with that name that it's part yep. of the clan, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. Right. Oh yeah. Before I die, I want to see, I want to see a rugby match of Ireland and Scotland. Oh, I just want to. See, right. I know it's going to be a party house atmosphere. I know NFL football think it's a tailgating party ruckus, but I would love to go to an Ireland and Scotland rugby match. I know that's got to be just absolutely <laughs> crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Charlie, you are a composer primarily, but primarily. I do a few other random things like. Um, editing, producing, and board game design. So Also, board game design? Yeah, yeah that's a more recent hobby, but now uh, becoming a little more serious about it. So, yeah. Well, that's kind of fascinating because music and board games, kind of the, 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 the language of it is mathematics. You have to kind yeah. of know mathematics and game yeah. theory and everything. And, well, music theory is all yeah. speaking mathematics. And they, I think, like, a lot of the creative pursuits I've done kind of feed into each other. And it's nice to hop from one thing to another because really it's in the end about like understanding human psychology in a way. Cause it's like, I'm especially film scoring is kind of like trying to figure out what is the perfect amount of music to put in a film that's gonna steer the listener without like hitting them over the head with, yeah what they should be feeling so 
Yeah, and there's also there's so many dynamics of where do you put the music in? Yeah, or when not to right sound right? Yeah, and then like almost like game theory is almost when when is it the part of luck but also part of skill? Yeah, and really good really good games have an equal balance of a little bit of chance. Yeah, but really dynamic skill. That's kind of a hard balance to to navigate. Right. Yeah. As well as music, it's hard balance. Like, where do we go? All right, with melody, and then where do we go with the rhythm? And everything. yeah, so yeah. yeah, that and that's a particular thing with film scoring too. Is deciding if this piece really needs a melody, or if it's you know a lot of my stuff ends up being kind of tonal, drones, ambient things that aren't gonna really get in the way of any dialogue, right? Obviously, but but on the other hand. Um, I'm working on the Make-A-Wish project for um, The Legend of Lexander. Oh, the Star which, Wars. Yeah, the thing. Star Wars uh, Make-A-Wish project. My listeners should know because on a last couple months ago, we had, had Jade Ness yeah. on talking about that. So you are doing the, the music for it. Yep. So myself and two brothers, the Brueggemann brothers, uh, Will and Marty, um, they are... I'm a Star Wars fan, and I love John Williams, but they like double my amount of love for John <laughs> Williams even. Um, so it's really fun working with them because the three of us are going to be able to bounce all these ideas off each other. And, yeah. Yeah. And for a 15-minute short film, you, that style of huge orchestral writing. Yeah, the big vaudeville music. Yeah. yeah. You know, we need all three of us really to pull that off in – in the time we're going to do it. so <laughs> Right, because if you think Star Wars, I think it's one of those films that even though we know about the aesthetics, the looks and the tech, you know, all that, it's the music that really pops in your brain almost first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so even when you watch a movie, the first thing you hear is, boom, yeah. It's almost a big announcement that, all right, sit in, yeah. For sure. Um, I don't know what, I don't know if I could, you can never get the answer, but are you going to be able to incorporate some old Star Wars music yeah. into this? I yeah. know Jay was trying to kind of talk about navigating that to talk yeah. to Disney. Well, um, as far as we know, uh, Lucasfilm has signed off on us using his old melodies, all the original Williams melodies. Yeah. We just can't use the recordings of the orchestra, so we'll have to like kind of weave them into our own I arrangements. See. Okay, so kind of do it yourself almost. Yep. yep. Okay, like Which, almost like a re-recording. Yeah. 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 That's so, nice. That's but nice. yeah, even so, I, I'm like amazed that we can do that, and you know, our names will be technically in the credits, right, with John Williams because <laughs> he, he wrote those themes. So yeah, he's a master knowing the right temperament for. It's almost like um, uh, the her, um, who's the composer Alfred Hitchcock used Berman. Bernard Herman, yeah. Yeah, Bernard Herman. Oh, I love that guy too. <laughs> yeah, which it's kind of funny that it's you think that they're so nav- they can do so many different ways to navigate music, yeah. but then Psycho is just all strings. Let's just <laughs> use the string instruments. Yeah, forget yeah. everything else, right? So sometimes mm. simplicity is what's what the music, what yeah. the movie requires. Yeah, but uh, yeah, at the, at the same time, like Bernard Herman, he does have those like really simple, sometimes just uh, you know arpeggios that are just kind of like cycling kind of almost like minimalism yes. music but he his harmonies are always so interesting and same with John Williams like the the kind of harmonies that they use and get away with in those movies you know they and they do it so masterfully that 
you know, someone who is not as skilled might try doing something weirder like that and it just wouldn't blend as well, but they just know exactly the timing to do on these yeah. these things. Because when I think John Williams, it's not so much like Star Wars, even though he's very famous for it. It's almost like E.T. Because E.T. Mm. with the music is, yeah. all, every note is almost like a positively charming yeah. hope. And, and even, uh, fun fact about the, the scene with E.T. and uh, going around uh, during Halloween, and you see Yoda, yeah. <laughs> and he weaved in the Yoda theme, or yeah, I think I think he did that. It's a little, you can yeah. just uh, a few minute little <laughs> notes of uh, Star Wars, yeah, just, just to remind you psychology, psychology. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But when you think Bernard Herrmann, I mainly think like I understand like Psycho and North by Northwest were big, you know, big, and then the Eeries music, yeah. but like Vertigo, Vertigo, it's almost like a loop, yeah. like a psychological. Yep. Like yeah, that's what I was thinking of with those arpeggios I was talking about is that vertigo score. And one, two, three, one, two, we'll come back, we'll go and come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to work in a band, so I know a little bit about making music. I don't really compose it, but it's just kind of like, all right, can you give me a 4-4 four, four or whatever? Then we yeah. start. That's kind of the foundation is the the beats and everything, and then you go from there. Um, I always thought music, for me, perceptionally, is it's almost like you're asking a question and then you get the answer. Mm, yeah. So it's almost like, if you think about vertigo, it's like, do, do, do. Okay, we're asking a question. Do, do, do. It's almost like, yeah. I think yeah. every melody is almost, I always pr- picture that. And that's how I work with people. It's like, okay, what's the question? Do, do, do. Do, do, do. So that's what I kind that, of always have that perception of. That's cool. I also have had that same thought, but I've never heard anyone else articulate that and i yeah so i think you're spot on i think every good phrase has some sort of like um yeah question that it's asking and and even the melody kind of going up at the end of the first phrase yeah and then down at the end yeah you said yeah. it <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking like in right because we're talking about psycho and that's a great like how do you, you're asking a question do do yeah so yeah it's like a little bit everything is almost like a little bit of a journey almost to yeah it. yeah so and actually like thinking about that um one thing i always tell people is that when when you use a actual composer versus library music one advantage is the composer can kind of do more of those questions at the end of scenes and things like that where you leave people hanging and um yeah i started to notice that when i listened back through my soundtrack of all my cues from the movie Silicon Soul. Um, that was a documentary I worked on. Uh, and they, every track in my soundtrack, purely by kind of accident, has this like unresolved note at the end of it. Because when I was composing it, I was like, well, we need to keep it going into this next scene, which is like yeah. keeping the suspense going a little bit. It's almost like an unanswered answer. Yeah. Not completely, not a complete resolution. Right. Right. Yes. I think composing for a documentary has got to be far more challenging than almost like a fictional film because you, it's like. It can be. Um, Yeah. The the added element is you're trying to figure out how to portray these characters in a way that's, you know, respectful or. So Silicon Soul is always an interesting example because that movie is about um, mostly men who. Uh, fall in love with sex dolls and inanimate objects yeah yeah yeah. and uh and you know you could go into it and just kind of make fun of all these people 
But that's not really what the director, Melody Gilbert, wanted to do. She wanted to humanize them and try to figure out, like, what is it that makes well, them that, tick? Yeah, that's, you mentioned earlier, you almost have to think of the human psychology of it. To right, yeah. 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 So it's so it's like a fine line of weaving, you know, it's they're quirky people just in general. So you, you kind of like make music that's a little quirky, but not but not necessarily laughing at them. Not too much. And then by the end of the movie, you actually do care about the characters. And um, yeah, that was a very fun score. Yeah, it's almost like a, for people like that who you understand that they're not alive, they're inanimate objects, and there's a TV show about, I love my, you know, people who love, oh, yeah, yeah. Who love their cars and everything, but there is almost an unpsychological component to that because inanimate objects can't reject you, they don't talk back to you, there's yeah. no there's no friction. Yeah. They pretty much do whatever, you know, there's no talk back, so it's almost yeah. like a necessity, almost like having, not necessarily a pet, because a pet can, hey, I can tell my dog, <laughs> get in the house, yeah. no, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But there is no friction. There is no conflict yeah. when you're in love with an animate object. They're just there, right? Yeah. yeah. But yet, uh, one of the characters, as he describes it, is that she he knows, like consciously, that she's not alive, but he still thinks of her as alive, and he kind of explains it as like, well, she's kind of part of my brain in yeah. a way, and yeah. Which is really weird because we just mentioned Psycho. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could have gone that route with the score too. <laughs> we That'd took be a very sc- different film. <laughs> took a scenic route to talk yeah. about human psychology playing part of the music. Yeah. So, so how long? Uh, when did this all start for you? Uh, this in yeah. love of music and composing. Well, uh, like you, I was in a band back in the day, and before that, orchestra, and then. Because of orchestra and being in a band, I was like, well, maybe I could study music in college. Okay. And so I went to St. John's, St. Penn's, and um, studied music there. And then after college, kind of did tried my hand at a bunch of different kinds of music, songwriting, experimental electronic stuff, and orchestra writing. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, got involved with Jason Schumacher after college he took a chance on me doing the sound mix for his one of his movies that he was working on and um we yeah had a good partnership and then yeah. he started introducing me to other people David Ash worked on his film and then slowly realized like I guess I could use my composing skills <laughs> on these films <laughs> like use I don't my know. powers yeah. for good right yeah use it <laughs> so yeah, then I, from there, like, several years after college, finally got a little more into film scoring, and here I am now. That's one of my main gigs, so. So, fun yeah. fact, um, my graphic novel, The Greenway, there is a character named David Ash. Whoa, weird. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had David on? Not yet, not yet. Okay. It'd be kind yeah. of weird because I had my, it's one of my, the lead characters in my story, The Green Way. Is oh, like, well. Uh, well we got to have Dave in he's here. He's the house detective. He's a hotel detective, the swarmy de- former hotel oh. detective. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So it's so very noiry, but his name is David Ash. Right. Yeah. Sweet. So when you compose music, is there like a foundation you start with? I mean, obviously it's the, the out, almost like yeah. when writers, when I talk about an outline, um, is that something you kind of do also when you compose music, kind of like an outline? Yeah. So uh, my normal process is I get the cut from the director and see, first of all, what kind of pacing will work. Um, 
So I, it depends on the scene, but sometimes I'll start with some sort of rhythm and just kind of get the tempo that I want for a scene because that's really going to influence the rest of what I write. The other kinds of scenes, I might actually just feel more like I want some ambient chords to start right. it out. Um, so I'll just kind of find the harmonies that I want with whatever simple instrument, and then I kind of layer up from there. Yeah. But like you said, uh, a lot of my job is just figuring out when to start and stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of like a process. What I like to do with directors is they might have their notes where they want the music, but I kind of like watching with the from a clean slate if I can, if unless they have temp music already. But it's nice to try watching it uh, without any music and just make my own notes and then come together with the director and see where we line up. <laughs> I have a funny little story if I could share because yeah. I, I love Brian De Palma's work and he likes to work music into it. And it's, uh, I, I can't remember the terminology, but it's like fill in music just for something to fill it in. Oh. And he used to sit with the composer and I think he worked with Bernard Herman is like, I'm not, get that crap off. <laughs> I want to hear my, I don't want to hear somebody else's. Yeah. My, get that crap off so I know how to work. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of weird because, yeah, you want to sit down with some director to know where is it going. Yeah. Yeah. Have a little conversation since it's, it's kind of hard to just sit in a vacuum like, here's my movie, put some music in it. I think right. people think that's what how it gets involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's always the question that comes up with composers is, well, do you want temp music in there? And I, I'm not opposed to it because honestly, it helps me see what the director's feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, as long as they aren't like totally in love with the music, to the point where, like, why did you hire me if you just really love this? Maybe just use this library track that you really like. <laughs> but um, usually, the directors I've worked with have been great about like giving me temp music or maybe even like a Spotify playlist to work with and that's nice because then it gives me an idea of the tones the types of instruments they might want that thing so when you compose music are you primarily using a piano yeah i usually uh sit down at my midi keyboard and i'll i'll start with instruments that i think might work sampled instruments yeah and uh once in a while i'll i'll strum things out on guitar if i think it's going to be a guitar heavy kind of score but MIDI keyboard's great because it's just real easy to use. I can it's compose right there, on right headphones. Your yeah. yeah, it's almost like a laptop. It's right there when I'm on TV or yeah. something like that. But and you can easily record all your ideas, change up the notes, copy paste. It, it's yeah. great. One of my interesting things I learned about Eddie Van Halen is he would always when he write music on the guitar, and if he thought it was good enough, he went right to the piano to see how it sounded and see if it, if it was good enough. It translates mm. well on the piano. Then he'll continue on. Oh, so if it was, if it didn't translate very well on the piano, he'll kind of like, eh. huh? That's a good way to think about it. But then when he played jump, he's like, this actually sounds better on the piano <laughs> than <laughs> nice. guitar. And everybody was like, well, it's like their first song that never really did guitar. It was a big hit for him. But yeah, so, it is a super fun song to play on piano. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I could see him just kind of deflated. Oh, it sounds better on piano. Darn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So do you have a uh, you have a keytar? Oh no, I've never had a keytar. We always talked about in my old band 
uh, our lead singer wanted a guitar, but it never ended up happening. <laughs> I think they're still around. I think they're still oh, circulating. Nice. I know. I know the band, the Hopefuls, that were here, famous in those Twin Cities mm. in the early two thousands. They had a guitar. Nice. The guy had a guitar. I was like, "We're bringing it back, right?" Yeah. It was just uh, because the the lead singer always composed the music, but he didn't want to just sit behind a. Oh yeah. He wanted to stand with the rest of the guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did back in college. I did some weird experimental music that um, I, I got really into the idea of using a Nintendo Wiimote to control sounds with my laptop. And wow, um, I, I use Ableton Live. And the cool thing was the Wiimote is Bluetooth, so you just connect it that way. And what I did is I um, put it on my guitar and the tilt and axis of the Wiimote could control the effects I was running my guitar through. That's very clever. So I was doing this, and I had the nunchuck in my hat and was <laughs> moving my head around. And yeah, that was. There's an embarrassing video out there somewhere, but um, it's called a Thurman. You know that thing the, that's the, like yeah, the Thurman. Woo! Yeah, um, I think the Beach Boys used it for good vibrations. Oh yeah, it was, you know. The, it's almost like here we go to the yeah. bridge almost, but it's always used in fifties horror movies. Yeah, uh, I think the house on the house on Haunted Hill uses it. Like they just hit you all the time with it, the theremin. Yeah, so, um, and I always forget that it exists. And every time I see a movie from the fifties, like I want to buy one. I want to buy one. Oh yeah. And my wife's like, I know we're gonna do, you're gonna play it nonstop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, They're a little uh, expensive for what you'd think uh, for a <laughs> wire and some, yeah. <laughs> but, but the other reason I bring it up is because you're so, you talked about experimenting with the music. Yeah. And that was the Beach Boys, just experimenting with new things and people like, you put that in a rock song that was just used for scary movies. Yeah. So, but experimenting, I think experimenting yeah. is part of composing music. Yeah. Yeah. And people might not always think of the Beach Boys like that, but they were. I mean, the Beatles were like that. The Beach Boys were also like that. And just like very experimental orchestrations and using like timpani and songs. And yeah. yeah. If you want to, if my listeners, if you want to go back and listen to Good Vibrations, that's like three different songs in one song in the, at, oh, recorded yeah. at three different studios. Yeah. So they recorded at three different oh. studios to get three different songs to get. So the, you know, the bridge, kind of like we call the bridge, to, we're going to the melody and then. Yeah, it's kind of weird that they recorded in three different areas to yeah. have three different t- distinct songs for just one song. Huh. Yeah. Let's so, see. do you still writing music? Just yeah, recreationally? Just or? Yeah. Uh, during 2020, I, at the beginning of 2020, like that night, New Year's night, I, I was <laughs> went to a party and I was feeling kind of sick. That was like back in the day when it was like, yeah, you can kind of go to parties if you're sick. Yeah, you got a few. Um, <laughs> so I, so I came cold. back home and was kind of like, oh, well, that's kind of a bummer I had to miss. But I sat down at the piano and started writing a song that's called Better now. And that kicked off like, oh, I hadn't written my own songs in a really long time. And so I was like, maybe I could just like keep this rolling and so I, within January, I wrote like three or four songs. And then I was like, okay, I, this is ready for an album. I'm going to kickstart this thing. I'm going to get a, a small orchestra together to play everything. And then COVID hit. I was like, oh, <laughs> well, we oh got- no. <laughs> but I ended up 
doing a Kickstarter for it, and we all we recorded all the musicians remotely in their homes, and it turned out to be just as quality as if um, I would have had them all in a group together. Yeah. So yeah, I think I would definitely do that again. And I've I've talked to actually some directors too about you know if COVID sticks around, we can still do individual recordings at people's homes. It is fascinating that you could be in a totally different part of the country and just yeah. kind of compose music nowadays. That, you yeah. Know, be in different areas, yeah. Which is kind of an advance because back in the day, like Les Paul and his wife Mary, they would just record at different rooms of the house, oh, which yeah. is far more fascinating. Yeah. But nowadays, yeah, now we could just be in a different town, different yeah. city and everything, and compose music and stuff like that, yeah. And the advantage is everyone's isolated, so you can do more editing with it than if you were together in a, a room with the orchestra, so it's nice, actually, on the back end, because if I realize, like, well, this um, piece, this instrument needs to be a little more featured here or yep. brought down. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of weird when you're in the recording studio and you're in an isolation booth, especially the drummer. Oh, what? yeah. Huh? Stop drumming, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're just listening to your your drums and, yeah. I, one thing i learned is yamaha drums are not great for recording oh they're why is that? they're just fantastic for live shows mm. but for recording it it's just it's so sensitive that microphone placements in the drums oh. has to be so spot on because you can't just fasten it and put it on there because you won't it'll get sound wet almost like a Mm. But if you get the right, it resonates perfect for live shows. It nice. really is perfect, but for recording, it is such a pain in the butt. Oh, because it's so like spot on, or you have to put like thousands of blankets in the the kick drum oh. and everything. So that's funny because I actually uh, a few years back bought a Yamaha guitar um, specifically because it felt like the most kind of neutral kind of guitar sound in a good way. Yeah. That I could use for film scores, and versus like, you know, other types of guitars might sound real dark or too shiny. I was like Yamaha. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought to buy a guitar, but it it was like kind of this perfect blend that yeah. I, I I really like it now. Now we're having the same conversation I had with my band because he would he would like had Stratters and Ibanez for different you know different fields sure. and stuff like that. But yeah, if you want a heavier like Ibanez, like ACDC would use for heavy, like <laughs> dun dun, like that power stuff. But yeah, I think you this is weird how manufacturing, because if you go to, a, I think if you go to see an orchestra, like the Minnesota Orchestra, they're going to have for drums pretty much Yam Yamahas. They're just perfect. They're yeah. great for, because it just resonates and everybody, yeah. But uh, recording, I think you want something really basic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pearls or something like that, yeah. yeah. Do you, so well, when you work musically, it's piano first, right? Yeah. Tends, but are you acclimated to other ones, other instruments? Yeah, I uh, play guitar. I grew up playing violin. Um, so yeah, it's it's nice to be able to have those string instruments at knowledge at least. Um, but for other things, you know, I'll call on friends who I built up over the years and. We one thing I could mention too is uh, yeah. Film Score Fest is a festival I run, and what what we do there is we have a sixteen musician ensemble, and wow. we invite filmmakers and composers to sign up for free, and we pair them up, and we get uh, That's you know, nice submissions, short film submissions, and then at the screening we have the orchestra play 
the scores live. So that that's like kind of a way, a good way for people locally to, and wherever you are, you can sign up. But what's it called again? Film Score Fest. Oh, I love it! I want to go. Yeah, we did, we uh, had ours in Mears Park in St. Paul uh, last year. I hope in the and, summer. <laughs> yeah, it was in the summer. But yeah, that that's been really fun. It's our, we're in in our eighth year now. That's fascinating. I didn't have never heard about this before. So. I know. Yeah. Well, that's probably because I'm not the best marketer. <laughs> Usually, good artists aren't good at marketing, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, when you watch movies, does music pop first, or? Um. Well, or you just kind of relax I, first, and then it, maybe I'll go back and listen to what. They yeah, do. it depends. Uh, I always say, like, if I did a good job, most people won't pay attention to my music. <laughs> so it's like a good editor, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but there's time. Yeah, now I'm I'm really attuned to if the score is really good, then I I dig it, and if the score is really bad, then I also notice it. <laughs> <laughs> it's more the like neutral ones that I kind of forget about, and if the story's good enough, you yeah probably. Uh, I uh, I I I listen to you know have no I know so many sound mixers, and I had one approach me and he said you got to go back and listen to Castaway. I was like, why Castaway? He goes, mm. sound editing is marvelous in that movie because it's so quiet, but everything is match perfectly sound and is Chris everything and you don't think about it you think about it as a quiet movie of just a guy stuck on an island right. but the guy was it is a marvelous achievement of sound editing but didn't get any accolades because people weren't it's not going to bop you over the head like Star Wars right but the sound of him fishing on all that was just marvelous achievement well now, and that's a great example of when I there's very little or no music for almost the entire movie until he loses Wilson. Yeah. And then the strings come in, and it's just like uh, that's when the tears start flowing because you've had this for so long, this silence, and then yes, suddenly you're more sad about a volleyball <laughs> than most characters in movies when they die. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, are, we always watch movies all the time and i think it's a, it's one of those misnomers about yeah you you don't get noticed for what you want to you get noticed for the the wrong reasons <laughs> yeah. and then sound editing you just get noticed for just because it hits you over the head with it and yeah just like oh, that was just so much sound that i just kind of it's almost like assault on your senses where something yeah. like castaway yeah. where you really have to be masterful at it yeah. to piece it all together yeah. Honestly, I fall asleep more in loud action movies than anything else because it's just like this wall of sound and, I don't know, visuals that sometimes it's just like that, just constant. Whereas like the the action movies I think that really work are the ones that have these like dynamics in Valleys. terms of sound and pacing and everything like that. Right, because I think... We're gonna go back. We'll go back to John Williams, but Raiders of the Lost Ark has a great valley of when to be quiet and when mm. to kick it up, when to be quiet. Yeah, and you have a lot of exposition, talking quiet, and then you have a cut of just sound mm. going right. And yeah. then I'm thinking, like when he talks about it, Indiana Jones is in his house, and he talks about, oh yeah, we're going on this vacation. There's no sound, but then he throws his gun in the suitcase, and I'm. Boom! The music starts. He's at the airport, and all the now Ooh, now yeah. then you get attracted. Like, all right, now the thing is going. Yeah. So right, it's almost like you have to when you do sound and music and score. 
almost like when does the next act start? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think about a lot, uh, you know, what's the transition of the scene? Either emotionally or like visually, maybe we're moving somewhere else. But someone, I remember back in college, I scored my buddy's film, first time attempting it. <laughs> and I played it for my professor and he, he said, well, it was okay, but what, why did you like start the music? Why, why did you start the music with the scene and then end the music with that same scene? And he was like, well, maybe think about doing more transitional music across, from scene to scene. And that was kind of a revelation for me when I realized, like, yeah, the music's not there always to just be the wallpaper of, of the scene. Uh, right. It's be- best used to glue scenes together. Yeah, help help you move on. Because psychologically, it's almost like you want to incorporate that score a little bit in the beginning of the movie. So when you have it at the end, you want to use it at the end. It's not like a big surprise. It's almost like, oh, yeah, I yeah. kind of re- retain that a little yeah. bit. Right, yeah. Um, I'm thinking that's why about, I lo- oh, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, that's why I, I love doing feature films because you do actually get more of a chance to develop these themes throughout and come back to themes that uh, – will have a little bit more resonance. One thing, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie Clute with Jane Fonda and Donald Sutherland. No, have you I seen haven't. It's a, no. it's a noir murder mystery. It's about a serial killer killing prostitutes, and John Clute is a detective. It's Donald Sutherland, but he's attached to Jane Fonda being a prostitute. He's almost using her as bait mm. to trap it. But the whole score, it's keys going, it sounds like keys going up, almost like a bubble, like do 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 and it's mm. almost like a psychological swelling that anything that triggers like anything bad happening, that it's announcing that, okay, the bubbles are starting. Like something is really bad is going to oh. stop. So at the yeah. end, when it's overbearing of bubbles, like it's something boiling into the bad guy, it's bubbling over that it's, uh, it's taken over. That's cool. I gotta but yeah, that. it almost sounds like bubbles. Like, yeah. And that's interesting because, you know, like, other movies like Jaws, it's like, okay, this is real obvious. This is going to be a bad thing. But like, that sounds more like you have to get attuned to what that sound means. Yes. And then, yeah. That's, get acclimated that's to cool. it. So that when there's nothing going on, but you yeah. play the music, oh crap, where is he? Yeah. <laughs> where is that dick fish? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a heavy psychological play, too. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. then you have nice quiet. And, he, and also, there's everybody talks about that song that musical score in it but there's also cheery music into it almost fun volley because you have mm. to have a contrast to it so like when they go after the fish there's almost like this fairly like almost like skipping kind of music mm. to it mm-hmm. if you think about it there's a if you go back and it's like oh yeah there is too right because mm. you have to almost have a contrast for the constant foreboding you need something else to a little bit also it can't have like foreboding all the time right yeah yeah so you like so you can watch kind of recreationally other mu- movies and music and then you kind of go back and like how did that be oh, so Oh yeah. So- yeah. Yeah, I'd say uh it it's like anything the more you study it the more you will either love or hate a movie because of the thing but <laughs> right. <laughs> sometimes yeah. I don't actually the the one thing about working in music 
I don't usually listen to music recreationally anymore. (laughs) I completely understand it because I work comic books and I illustrate them, but I'm not, and I collect them, but I'm not so much in the Zorb in that world because somebody brings up, hey, have you read this story? It came out a couple of weeks ago. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally get it. In your field, it's hard to like go out and search. Yeah. Yeah, And maybe it's just uh, more like... I don't think to have music on in the background, but when I, cause when I listen to music, I want to actually like pay attention to it. And exactly. Like get into it, but it's kind of, well, I have to share with my wife cause she's was in college and in high school, she was an avid golfer. She golfed for the college team as well. And in her summer job, she worked on a golf course and we're in this dead time. What do you do? You go golfing. So mm-hmm. on her day off, she called me like, what do you want to do? Let's go golfing. No, <laughs> it's my day off. Let's <laughs> yeah. get away from So I understand in your field of discipline, yeah, it's your day off. Well, all right, let's get away from music for a little. Let's yeah. decompress where people like, all right, let's do this, this, and this. Yeah. So, And that's probably why I'm more acclimated to film because when you take a break from comic books, you want to deflate, well, let's watch this movie or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's a little more oriented to movies. Yeah. And I'm constantly, I'm not interviewing comic book artists or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. So musically, rhythm or more melody, do you think, when you start? Um, I th- I think it's a mix. Um, when, I'm trying to think, uh, my, my usual process, like I said, is kind of, Watching the scene and improvising along with it. Okay, so, so that's what's what this asking for you to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the most fun part, really. Is like the beginning when when you're figuring out, okay, <laughs> what's going to actually work here. So, so I, kind of a puzzle to solve for me. It is kind of weird, isn't it? It's almost like, what do we want to do with that? And then it's, it's almost, you almost get a writer's block with the group, like, oh, where should we go with this? Should we go to something else or announce something else yeah Yeah, right yeah and i think like the the beginning of a film is the hardest uh both because if you're actually starting with the beginning of the film as the first cue you write it's going to be the first time the directors heard their film with original music so they probably have in their head what it's going to sound like so i'm i'm going over the hurdle of for one trying to make the director understand where I'm going with the score. Yeah. And then two, it's just always a test to see what instruments actually work with the film. So I'd say, yeah, the beginning of a film or the first scene you write or whatever, it's going to probably take many more revisions than the rest of the, the film. A lot of them are sort of like rewrites. Yeah. 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 It's almost like a writer. You don't, it's not your writing. It's always your rewriting. So yeah. with music, there's always you're constantly reworking the music. Yeah. Because there's so many options, I think. Yeah. Right. It's kind of weird that music, what, is only 16 notes, I think? Is it? Oh, is it? you mean like? How many notes are for music and then how many options you can for just composing music? There's very little like. Oh, like, uh, well, 12 notes in the. All right. There's 12 notes. Yeah. Right? So, yep. But, but generally, you don't. Yeah, in um, in a particular melody, you know, I might only be using half of that for <laughs> yeah. the actual notes of the melody. Um, yeah. But it is fascinating how you're. There's only twelve notes, and how much variety of music comes out from just mm-hmm. there's only twelve notes. Yeah. 
and how much different instruments and how different things that you can express using music. Yeah. There's so many different options. Right? Yeah. And it's so colored by our history, too, of every kind of music that we've grown up with and generations before us and before them. We're still using the same techniques from way back in Bach era, yeah. like, you know, 16, 1700s and before. Uh, so it's, it's just an interesting phenomenon that uh, music in general exists but then the fact that it exists in films as like this other language uh it's just very cool to think about and it it's actually i was talking with a friend about this recently that it reminds me of probably the beginning of film scoring type of things was the greek chorus for you know some of those greek um Tragedies. tragedies and things where they'd have the chorus was there kind of to be the audience's perspective on the story. Yeah. And so they'd sing these things or chant or whatever they did back in that day. And that was kind of telling the audience like how to feel in a way. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if that carried through the generations. And Yeah, because we know their music was part of Greek ancient Greek plays. We know that yeah. maybe there's a chorus singing as well. Yeah. Because we know the amp the, the way they built their amplifiers, like you could still hear perfectly way up back up there. Oh, so yeah. they're like there had there had to be some kind of instruments play. There had to be some yeah. kind of almost like an opera. Yeah. But you saying. mentioned the twelve notes, but actually back then they had a different kind of conception of what was in tune. Because <laughs> like nowadays we think of a piano and it's perfectly in tune. Uh, every half step is exactly the right, the same frequency away from it, each other, so that you could change keys and it would still sound good. But yeah. prior to the piano, and Bach really was the one who said, "Hey, we got to tune everything equally." That's called equal temperament. Right. But before that, uh, people actually had scales that were more in tune with the natural resonance of the world really and we've kind of squished that a little bit to make these intervals more user friendly that you can play it and it sounds so it's it's weird if you ever look up um just tuning is called okay it'll sound out of tune at first but you start to listen more and you're like, wow, these are like really ringing out and it's beautiful resonances. Once you get past the fact that it's a little bit out of tune from our ears, <laughs> but that's how it yeah. used, they used to do it back in the day. I remember cause I, I can't tune my drum set worth a darn. <laughs> and I had somebody else come in and tune it. And then it's like, are you sure? It's like, you're, you're, you get so used to being a bad that you forget what's good tuning. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's almost like bad TV resolution. You forget how awful it is. And then you watch something other. Whoa, that's too crisp. Right. My head. Well, yeah. Seen everything. <laughs> yeah. So what it, you mentioned Bach. Yeah. Is there another composer before we take a break that you inspires you and influences you? Mm. Well, I'd say, uh, yeah, a lot of the classic greats. Um, but film scoring-wise, John Bryan is one that I always love. He did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Lady Bird and all these other scores. Very 
quirky, but not right. They're dancing on the quirkiness, but not too. Yeah, and they're they're all you know they're orchestral, but they're not big um, classic Hollywood blast you over the head with a big orchestra. They're all like really beautiful small ensembles usually, yeah. and he works in these really beautiful melodies too, and they all seem to fit. And I don't know. I love him. It's almost like he knows the puzzle before he even started. Like this yeah. piece needs to go in here, and like do 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 do. Yeah, like yeah. So I I can tell because you you see like you mentioned like Lady Bird or Eternal Spotless Mind that he's probably watched the movie many 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 times yeah. <laughs> to understand where does it go from here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, all right, we're going to take a little break. This is fascinating. And back yeah. more with Charlie. Hey, everybody. This is Kelly Reynolds, and I'm the host of Boobies and Newbies, the podcast that asks novice romance readers to think outside the dick in a box. Join me for a new episode every Friday as we review romance novels with non romance readers. From the sweet, loving fairy tale romances of the Highlands. Who cares about up against the wall by the fruit trees? (laughs) Like, where's the dragon? Inside the belly of a dragon. To the naughty erotic threesomes with navy seals. Sex was a 10. I mean, you cannot get any better than this book. Come on, you guys. Really. We read it all. Check us out at Boobies Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Listen to previous episodes on any podcast streaming platform. You can also support Boobies and Newbies on Patreon.com for lots of bonus booby content and early episode releases. Welcome back. And now more with the show. All right, we're back with Charlie, and I just want to, an interesting note because we talked about game theory. We talked a lot about a music, and we talked about how that kind of you want to build a foundation of where we're going and navigating puzzles and everything. And you and I share a mutual obsession, a game, chess. Ah, yes. So you are a, which, you're an avid chess player as well. Yeah, yeah. I got into it um, years ago, but not really seriously or anything, and then... Uh, during pandemic, I was like, well, I'm going to start playing online with people. And yeah, I've been just watching hours of YouTubers and playing a bunch myself. And it's just amazing to me that there's a game that feels just, it's, it's simple pieces, yeah. but every game you play just turns totally different by yeah. the end of it. I only got a 1300 rating. I'm sorry. Oh, you, you well, got a 1500 rating. I, that was my New Year's <laughs> resolution last year. And I was a few days late, but I made it to 1,500, which is the average starting rate <laughs> that in, uh, yeah, online chess. But I'm an, I'm an avid keen Queen's Gambit opening move because mm, there's nice. so many options. I love, um, I'm a, somebody of a personality who loves options, and that gives you the most options to start with. Oh, and I yeah. know a lot of other people are like, oh, we're going to run into this basic game. Because <laughs> if you start with a queen's gambit, you're like, oh, this is going to take a while because there's so many options. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of other people like to maybe open them with a knight or do the queen, the king opening. Mm-hmm. But you do a queen's gambit, and I can just you can just feel the other. If they're really good, you're like, oh, all right, I just want a quick game. But you want to do this, fine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chess is weird, and because I've been playing since I was in high school, um, 
you don't win in chess. You just don't lose. Mm, I get always yeah. that feeling. Like, wow, okay, I didn't do anything stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody ever really celebrates a chess win. You're just mm. kind of like, okay, good. All right. Yeah. Although some of them I pulled off uh, some crazy victories last, yeah. This goes down a rabbit hole that I won't go down for our listeners. But, but, but yeah. it's deflating to lose because you can't cheat. All your yeah. moves are all in the open for the whole world to see. Yeah. And well, you, we, when you said earlier, you know, games are usually a mix of randomness and, you know, uh, strategy planning. Chess, there's not really randomness other than your opponent is the random element. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Like that's it. why I kind of like, you know, when you think about it, chess um, kind of translates to curling. Curling is just chess on ice. Because oh, you yeah. have to set up your blockers and maybe how you can navigate that. And then, mm. All right, we're set up. You're really good, and you can get it over there. Yeah. And so there's a lot of strategy, and I think the good curlers probably thinking, just like chess, they can think three moves ahead. Like, okay, yeah. we're not thinking what we're doing now. We have to think about what we can do the next three times yeah. you're up. And I think really good you, chess players can think four or five. Yeah. But you must have been watching the Winter, Winter Olympics. <laughs> I do watch curling because it's fascinating. It's almost like yeah. chess because, like, all right, you set your guard. Yep. And you know that if you hit that guard, that's going to go closer to the house, yeah. and you don't want to do that. So, yeah, it's all in the navigating of where you want to place the rock as close to center. And you don't want to get close to center because somebody can kick that out, and then you're just going to go repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. So you want to stretch it out a little bit. So it's fascinating. It's almost like chess. People think chess is the whole board. But if you dominate the middle piece, you're winning the game. If you can mm. dominate the middle, you're winning. Mm -hmm. And people think like, oh, there's so many different ways to do it. But really, mm -hmm. it's that four pieces in the middle. If you can encapsulate that, yeah. you're really dominating the, the game. Yeah. So are you familiar with the term schwang schwang? Uh, is that the German? Yeah. <laughs> Schwang. Starts yeah. with a Z, yeah. Yep. Where it's kind of like any move you make is not going to be good. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it yeah. comes down to the end, and it's like maybe a, just the kings and a pawn. Each has a pawn, and yeah. Yeah. It's the terminal. So it vaguely means you're done. <laughs> <laughs> but what it is is pretty much like any move you make, you're making the news on yourself tighter. And you have to make a move. Mm, yeah. And that's the most rewarding. When you have your opponent have to do that, that's the most, it's more, far more interesting than winning almost. Mm -hmm. When you get into the position like, no matter what I do, I am done for. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I, that's why well, I mentioned that winning in chess is almost like secondary thought. But yeah. getting your opponent like really in the corner where no matter what you're doing, you're done. Yep. <laughs> but then there's also the weird stalemate rule, which is like, it's kind of fun because even if you are totally losing, you can still like pull off this weird move where your king can't can't make a move, and then stalemate, right. you get stalemate and kind of laugh at the other player. But <laughs> but yeah. I think it translates well to what we've been talking about. And in your interest is it starts with the foundation, but where we're going, yeah. And you almost have to think a couple moves ahead of where we're going to go as well. It's music scoring is same. It's kind of the same thing. It translates well with chess almost. Yeah. And a lot of other things as well. Yeah. yeah. But and you get, well, to almost too much 
sometimes if you play too many games, you almost get where they can't see the forest outside the trees where you get so mm -hmm. focused in that it's hard because then you get, whoa, wait a minute, I forgot. Yeah, you have other pieces involved, right? Yeah. So I, I like these metaphors you got going because that is such a good lesson for composers or really any creators where you know when you're when you're composing you're going at such a slow pace and you're focusing on specific individual notes sometimes you have to just step back not listen to the same thing over and over and over again come back to it later yeah. and watch the scene just from the outsider's perspective and oftentimes if i've been spending way too much time on something and then i listen back i'm like whoa that's not working at all <laughs> so that's a big lesson to learn as a early composers just think about like your your perception of it is very skewed compared to someone who's watching and listening for the first time yeah i always say when i'm especially when i'm writing my story is that when it's almost when it hits you like oh yes 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 that would take a break yeah don't write when you're in that mood of like i got it yeah take a little break because it's not going to translate very well to the paper. That's when, you, yeah. when you're actually doing the writing, it's the most taxing laboring because it's all right. I already have it in my mind. It's just at the port on the page. Yeah. But like you said, when I got it, I want to do something. Then I have to take a break. Like maybe that's when I yeah. work out the details. And it kind of relates back to the board game design stuff too, where it's like if I'm coming up with a board game in my notebook really might not translate to actual people playing and I feel the same way when I send a cut to a director or especially if I'm in the room with the director watching back okay because you you totally perceive it a different way when someone else is with you I know right yeah <laughs> probably you know editors of any type would probably experience that right yeah, yeah. it's almost it's my material, but how do you gonna? And it's right there, right? I know. I know Tim Burton doesn't like to see his own movies and screenings. He just sits in the lounge. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just wait, because it's it's hard. It's hard to yeah. divorce yourself. That's my movie. Right. Or that's my artwork, and let's let's be be in the room as you talk about yeah. it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. one thing I've I've known I've realized over the years too is every time I watch a uh, score I did on the big screen. I am perceiving that very differently than the audience. And I, I'm very closely listening to my music. So I, I, I used yeah. to think, oh, man, my music's too loud or it wasn't right for that scene. But really, nobody else is thinking about that. No. So, right. so it's good to realize, like, you might be noticing it a lot. But, yeah, other people, except for the director, when you first send new music and they've been using temp music the whole time <laughs> that's the only thing they're well, new yeah. to them so they're like focusing cool. a lot on it and they might have a skewed perspective too because if they just sat back and watched it fresh yeah. if they didn't know the scene they probably wouldn't like pick apart the music as much and they're probably discovering it too but like they didn't think about what what you did with it sometimes they didn't think about oh yeah he's using that and yeah it's conversation like Oh right, that didn't really think feel like they fit there, but it does yeah. kind of fit there. Yeah. yeah. So right, and I always I I get a weird little thing. I want a little footnote. If I'm chess heavy, or really good at chess, and I'm doing really good and I'm kind of winning games, I know I'm not going to do well on crosswords. It's really weird how your brain works. Wow. 
But it's really fun. If I do a crossword in the morning and I did really well in a crossword, I know I'm not going to do really well with chess. Oh. It's just weird. Puts my... your brain in a different spot yeah. or something? It's 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 so really weird because I know if I do like the money crossword and I get it done in 10 minutes, like, oh, I'm going to suck at chess now. <laughs> and I do. But oh. then I, if I suck at crosswords, like, for some reason, I'm in the mood for a good chess game and I'll oh. win a couple games. Interesting. It's this really weird dynamic of how yeah. your brain works. And I think it translates. I'm trying to. I mean psychology and as well as how your brain perceives the the movie and the yeah. music and everything. So yeah, everything like it's all about the mindset too of going into something. I I there's a really good um, musical illusion. I, I used to study some of those. Uh, Diana Deutsch is this music psychologist, really the first, okay. and she studied these music illusions. And one of them is she'll play this thing that sounds like random notes. You wouldn't pick apart a melody. And then she plays you what the actual melody is. And then you realize that she just took that melody and split it up into three different octaves. And when you listen back to the version that's all split up in octaves, you instantly hear the melody. It's called the, I think, mysterious melody illusion. And from that point on, you can only hear that melody. You can't go back to unhearing it. <laughs> and it's yeah. the same when you're listening to your own music, making your own creative project. You have this conception of what it's going to sound like. Like you you know the melody. Yeah. But someone who listens or watches for the first time, their perception might be that split up into octaves, like random craziness, like why did this uh what what was the director or composer right. thinking <laughs> so yeah getting outside feedback is always great i think uh, if i think phil glass did a lot of like experiment on like human psychology of sounds and music and stuff like that and he would just incorporate like a tape on a loop mm, yeah i think you sound you think it's just repeating the same thing but he's just it's minute changes Mm-hmm. And so you yeah, go the, like you go see his pieces in a, in the modern music, and it's just a tape recording in a room, and you're like it's the same thing over. And actually, it's not. Yeah, it's different things in it, but your brain thinks it's just it's just a room, it's a tape recorder. You're like, oh, that's boring. <laughs> yeah, but it's not actually. Yeah, it's fascinating. He did a lot of experimental things like that. Yeah, we always talk about visually. And the, one of the things I talk about is because of movies and uh, you know, visual artists that, like Harry Houdini discovered, I'm talking, my listeners understand, but he under he knew that people's brains could not perceive five different people doing something on a stage. He knew five was the marker. He knew humans can kind of watch four people at a time, hmm. do four different things, but he knew five or more people's brains get too busy. Hmm. And so he would do that as a magic trick. His last magic trick, he would get... Masons on a stage, all in the same uniform, maybe 10 or 20 of them, and they build a brick wall to divide the stage, and he would tell them, by the end of the making the brick wall, I'll be at the under edge of the stage, and he would block out all the exits, oh. and it happened all the time, and nobody really knew how he did it. He'd be at the other end after the Masons build the wall, and the trick was, right in front of everybody, he would take off it, put a Mason's uniform, join the team building the bricks, and then take it off and stand in the corner. Ooh. And he knew that a lot of noise, 20, 50 people breaking in this fascinating, all right, they're making a wall. That's They'll watch that. Yeah. And they won't watch him. Whoa. And, it's just, Whoa. and it's, it brings up the fact of like chess. You're not yeah. you're not hiding anything. Yeah. 
But that movie is like, oh, where did it come from? Yeah, misdirecting. <laughs> like the same with filmmaking too. You're like mis misdirecting a little bit sometimes, and sound. Yeah. I'm imagining a lot of that probably. The Houdini thing is like a sound happens, and then mm-hmm. your eye is drawn to it. Oh yeah, he told all the masons be as loud as make the masons sing songs, whatever. Yeah. Get audience participation of make it an activity. Yeah, and that's and I think a lot of other people know that. I think Spielberg knows that to make it make a movie busy. Mm. You get five people doing five different things in the background, and it looks full. Yeah, yeah, or some. But then you pinpoint a little girl in a red, uh, a red dress. <laughs> dress, yeah. And that's like, his. Un- you know, then you right, then you know that's important. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most fascinating things I know about Schindler's List is filmmaking wise. If you go and you watch it again, it's hard to watch again. But Oscar Schindler, the lighting on him gets softer and softer as more heroic he got, becomes. Oh. In the beginning mm-hmm. movie, the light, the lighting on him is very harsh contrast, a very dark and light. And throughout the whole movie, it becomes lighter and lighter to the point that it's almost a sunshine to him mm-hmm. until the end, which is you don't really pay attention to that. But that's yeah. a nice psychology point of making a movie. You know, yeah. even a psychology point of you don't really notice it, but you're noticing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that was one thinking of the score where uh, – I think I heard that John Williams was felt like he wasn't qualified to score that movie, which is like insane to think about. A composer of his caliber might have a little bit of imposter syndrome or something, or maybe he just didn't feel he. I don't know what was I'm not going the, I'm on. All, I'm all for the uh, your Raiders and Star Wars, right? Yeah, you want to do something serious, right? Yeah. yeah, I can understand the little. Yeah, you think your qualifications, right? Because every artist always had that. Am I a fraud? <laughs> yeah. yeah. At some point or <laughs> often all the time or, you know. Are they, they going to figure out that I'm a complete fraud? <laughs> <laughs> and even if you don't feel like a fraud, sometimes it's like you feel like you have to kind of relearn every time you start a project, like starting from scratch on the yeah. film. It's like, okay, what what do we start with here? <laughs> I didn't know. I don't know if you don't know. I don't know if my listeners know, but... Um, Spielberg did Schindler's List because Marty Scorsese didn't want to do it. I learned oh. all about this because um, Marty Scorsese was signed on to do Schindler's List. And he goes, when I go serious and I go a little bit religious, like last Testation of Christ, people get upset. I don't think I want to do this. <laughs> and then Spielberg was like, you know, I've been doing a lot of empty escapism kind of movies. I want to do something serious. <laughs> so time, they yeah. both call each other up and he goes, you're supposed to do Cape Fear remake, Spielberg? Yeah. Well, I don't want to. I'll do that. You want to do Schindler's <laughs> List? Yeah. So these switch scripts. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if it's that easy nowadays. <laughs> you just call up A. Hey, I don't want to. Hey. <laughs> so that's a little footnote, a little trivia history to know that Spielberg actually was supposed to do Cape Fear and Scorsese was supposed to do Schindler's List, but they both mm. flipped. I think they both did well for each other. I think both of them did their movies really well. So sometimes it's the right material for the right time for the right yeah, components and everything. Definitely. So, yeah. And that so. and bring it back to composing too, like that's that's one thing I think directors really are nervous about, like finding the right composer because it is such a different field than most things that uh, related to film. It's not the conversation you really have when you talk about film theory or films or anything. It's Pretty much in the back of the book is sound. 
Yeah. <laughs> which, like somebody said, is 50% of the movie sometimes. Yeah. 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 And something that you have to really give the keys to because that's going to make your movie yeah. a lot. Yeah. So I find that it's like the role that the directors really have to trust you and know that like your style is going to fit too. So one thing I encourage directors and composers to do is get the composer probably has a back catalog of scores they've done. I always give mine uh, to directors to be like, Hey, pick any soundtracks you want to try as temp music because that kind of temp music's nice because I know that I can replicate it. <laughs> it's yours. Right? Yeah. 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 When I usually, when I, I talk to, you know, when I do workshops with um, people to do artists or I kind of help teaching, I always say really it's, it's not an academic term, but really hone in your style because that's what people are going to judge first and foremost. We all know about the value, contrast, lighting, everything, but really hone into what your style is and get comfortable with it. You yeah. know that's that is your almost your signature because it makes up for everything and people already know what they're going to get into when you get in your style and they always say it's hard because that's you everybody wants to draw like everybody wants to write like somebody else does everybody wants to draw like somebody else but you have to figure out how you draw first or how you write music first yeah and sometimes i think your style comes out of learning uh what or you know like when i started the tools and my system that I was using wasn't like the natural way. If I looked on YouTube uh, back then, I don't know if that even really existed, like a, how to Probably compose not. for films. <laughs> and they would tell you, oh, you got to have this sound library. You got to have this setup. But really, I think it's better to just try out whatever kind of yeah. weird sounds you might have. And it'll kind of shape you a little differently then yeah. if you went to through uh, the Hollywood system, yeah. whatever that is. I mean, no, but yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Experiment, especially when you're in college or you're a little younger. That's the really time to not really hold on in your style. I talk about that. I'm kind of a little bit misspoken here because I want to, after you get all your experimentations, right. I have a yeah. kind of hone in what you are style wise. But yeah. really challenge yourself when you're a kid or yeah. in college or like what do you want to do i think john lennon had over two thousand experimental guitars people will bring them he encouraged it bring me some new guitars he, and I, it's at the rock and roll hall of fame mm. these variety of different guitars that he would experiment on and try out so he never really got rid of his experimentation right aspect when he was even making pop music yeah so something yeah, i think you don't really get rid of yeah and I think yeah, as much as it's, I do actually have fun kind of being a musical chameleon when I'm doing film scoring because it's like, <laughs> can I write in this style? I don't know. Let's see. Let's try it. Uh, but yeah, I think at the same time, eventually directors could realize that, well, there's millions of composers in the world and I could find someone who writes in this like style that I exactly want, but it's kind of at some point they're probably maybe look especially if it's their pet project they probably want a composer who has a unique style in some way or another yeah yeah somebody yeah. who's like Hans Zimmer yeah who, who constantly works with those synthesizer electronic kind of a yeah. area but that's his style that's what he's comfortable with yeah. yeah and and he 
you know, he kind of gets a bad rap for, um, I don't know. He has influenced so much of film music in a good way and sometimes a bad way. But, <laughs> you know, all these things that he kind of pioneered that now have yeah. become the common language. Yeah. Uh, th- thinking about, like, Gladiator, and he was probably the one who started yeah. this, like, Middle Eastern voice sound that's like, oh. But it is kind of, when I think about Gladiator, it's almost a little bit like WWE wrestling music. Almost like it is going to be almost like a wrestling kind of mm. showdown a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Dippered into it. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So almost like you almost have to do a little bit of research, right? Before yeah. you start. Yeah. Almost like when you're writing a script, you almost want to do a little bit of research. Yeah. And it's good, like, if directors give me some other film soundtracks possibly that inspired them. Yeah. Um, Good. But at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, let's, let's also try some, some new stuff and see what might fit with your characters and have a little fun with it. Yeah. I think if you're, if you, who, what you are, what's your discipline? Yeah. Have a little fun with it. I know I, I do comic book illustrations. I draw, I'm a comic book artist and it can, can get, can get kind of labored because like, oh, I have to draw this and I don't want to. I got to draw an airport. I don't want to draw an airport. Yeah. But, but you, you get a little fun with it. Making, yeah. Yeah. So it kind of gets a little bit taxing sometimes. But yeah. Have, always make sure you're having a little fun with experimenting. Always times experimenting as well as maintaining your style. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, Charlie, thanks for coming, man. Yeah, Nick, this has been awesome. I'm going to go back and listen to records now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so yeah. I have to ask you, when you're composing music, do you don't listen to other people's music? Uh, yeah, No, I, I will once in a while. Um, okay. I kind of, sometimes actually I'll have dreams with songs in them. And most of the time it's actually an original thing, even if I usually I have a in my dream, it'll be a friend who's playing me a song, and then I wake up and I'm like, "Wait, that doesn't exist." That's how the most famous That's... rock and roll song came about was "Satisfaction." Keith Richards had oh, it in his sleep, nice. and he had a tape recorder in his bed, and he recorded it on his guitar and went back to bed, and then he woke up and he's like, "That's the riff." All right, yeah, yeah. that's cool when that happens. And I actually have a John Lennon song that John Lennon came to me in my dream and was singing and I have a Paul McCartney song he came to me in my dream and was singing a song they're both such a hard contrast because I think Paul is a little more poppy a little do 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 little jumpy sometimes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Paul's a little more long let's go with a little stretch it out a little bit yeah and I think it's you know day in life is perfect because it's two different yes you can tell which one's one. John and which yep. one's Paul <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, it's my favorite um, thing I always like to critique is what's the contrast? And sometimes a song or a film score can have the contrast to what your movie is. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can do a, the most horrific movie, a slasher movie, but you can have a contrast music and it yeah. fits kind of well to it. So, yeah, we a little shout out to Dave Ash and his show Incompleteness. Um, that he really let me do some fun stuff with the music because for one it's a movie or it's a tv series about making 
uh, movie and it's not complete. So yeah. And, uh, part of it is like the editors actually like sitting there putting music onto the timeline and premiere and playing it back. Like that's what you see in the movie. And he's like, okay, we need some music that doesn't quite fit his scene. Uh, so I, you know, I got to compose like diegetic music. Mm -hmm. That's kind of also becomes non-diegetic music later this theme that didn't fit his movie movie then becomes the score for another scene and also he at the end was like okay i want this scene that he's making to have a really really cheesy hollywood ending to it so that's what my my score ended up being for one of those scenes was like okay go all out like disney style <laughs> Yeah, fascinating. And so that contrast is what makes it so fun to score. How could people find it? Uh, like, incompleteness. I think it's incompletenessetheseries.com. Oh, it's on. Uh, just on. We'll put the link down below if, if it's. Yeah, only, yeah. I don't know if it's uh, streamable. You might have to have like some he, kind of subscription because he's uh, trying to. I think get a deal with a streaming service. So. Sure. Yeah, we'll put the link and see if but, people can be able to yeah, find it and watch. It's a good. Good series and a lot of talented folks from the cities in it too. Good, Charlie. Thanks for coming. It's nice to have a conversation, especially with somebody in the music uh, music uh, component to film. And I think it's a very crucial element that you know, especially with people who want to make movies or are interested, they kind of neglect. It's almost like the last. Oh, forgot we need music. It's almost like <laughs> the last piece, and that's most sometimes yeah. the most important piece. Yeah, about it. It's almost like a but way, I always yeah. I always like getting in early on the process because yes exactly even if, even if the film edit isn't done yet it's nice to talk through and I love seeing rough cuts because then I can give them a few notes on like well actually we need the music we might want the scene to be extended a little bit because the music could actually carry it John Carpenter the you love to talk music before you and I think he starts oh, yeah. doing filming like to talk about the music first and he actually does some of his own music so i yeah. think it's almost like he, it's not the start but he almost like it's maybe the first stretch that you want to get the music down first before we even go into production yeah so music is heavy part of his life i talk about yeah it's most important things because people like i'm gonna make a movie i want to get get all the ingredients and everything going my, my favorite story is the movie gremlins they got everything done and they forgot wait a minute we haven't made the gremlins yet. <laughs> you would think that was the first thing you would do. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, wait, yeah, we have to make gremlins. <laughs> oh, wait, we need music too, right? So yep. <laughs> somehow it worked. But yeah, yeah if you want a movie called Gremlins, wouldn't you think the first thing you, you would, would do? I think you'd do some, you know, at least a little puppet to try it out. <laughs> make the gremlins, yeah. So sometimes order priorities don't get <laughs> first in line. So. Charlie, thank you for coming yeah. on. And I love talking music with you. Yeah, it's been great. Definitely have to come back and maybe yeah. have a chess game, live chess game. So. <laughs> yeah, over the podcast. Over so the it'll podcast, be right, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so thank you for coming. Yeah. Uh, it's not over till the guests say it's over. Oh, it's over now. There Thanks. No <laughs>